Bible, a collection of 66 different books by around 40 different authors from many different backgrounds. There were kings and shepherds, soldiers, fishermen, doctors, poets and farmers. Some were young, some old, some rich, and some poor. And they wrote, each reflecting his own personality and style from a wide variety of life circumstances. All the way from palace thrones and bedrooms to the dungeons down in the palace basement. From seashores to mountaintops. And to the backsides of dry desert wastelands. In their books, the writers issued hundreds of specific future prophecies, all perfectly fulfilled or awaiting fulfillment. And they discuss every aspect of human life, hundreds of complicated and controversial topics. And yet, there is a unity and consistency of message in the Bible, from start to finish, that is nothing short of miraculous. Throughout history and today, millions of people around the globe call this book the Holy Bible, the very Word of God. It claims to be a self-revelation of the Supreme Being, the Creator Himself, stepping out of eternity into time and space to tell us and show us what He is like and to let us know His plan for our lives here on earth and in the hereafter. The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar is your chance to actually hear, discuss, and decide for yourself about this book, the Bible. Stay tuned, and at the very least, you'll hear the beauty, wisdom, romance, adventure, and intrigue of the world's greatest literature, the best-selling, most translated book of all history. But more importantly, God himself just might speak to your heart and change your life forever. Now, here's the host of The Bible Live, Sophie Dollar. Glad to have you along with us each and every evening. Thank you for taking the time for making this a priority. Many have told me this is appointment radio at its best. Folks joining us each and every evening for this program to hear the Bible itself. Not a few verses and then me waxing eloquent about those verses. I love great teachers and great preachers. I'm not among them, by the way, but I do enjoy them. But nothing, nothing can substitute for reading, hearing, being exposed to the book itself, the Bible itself, every word, every verse, every chapter, every book. Somehow there has subtly come this idea that nobody but a special group of very select, enlightened individuals can read the Bible. Well, that's the whole purpose of the Bible and having it in our own language available to us. We all have the wonderful privilege of going to the scriptures. And it is not rocket science. Yes, there are those wonderful, beautiful truths that are subtle and magnificent. We can find those as well. But the beauty, the power of the Scriptures is right on the surface. It's right there for us. God speaking, God acting in time and space and revealing to us things about himself, about ourselves, about his plan for us. Well, we're in the book of Romans. We'll pick up in chapter 5 tonight. Paul has been establishing this wonderful world of faith and grace. I'll give you a little bit of background on that as we get into chapter 5 tonight. Right now, though, let's hurry back to the book of Proverbs and pick up in the 17th chapter, verse 15, the second half of this powerful series of Proverbs in chapter 17. Lots of topics are being touched with God's wisdom. Proverbs 17, 15 through 28. The Lord despises those who acquit the guilty and condemn the innocent. It is senseless to pay tuition to educate a fool who has no heart for wisdom. A friend is always loyal, and a brother is born to help in time of need. It is poor judgment to cosign a friend's note to become responsible for a neighbor's debts. 
Anyone who loves to quarrel loves sin. Anyone who speaks boastfully invites disaster. The crooked heart will not prosper. The twisted tongue tumbles into trouble. It is painful to be the parent of a fool. There is no joy for the father of a rebel. A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit saps a person's strength. The wicked accept secret bribes to pervert justice. Sensible people keep their eyes glued on wisdom, but a fool's eyes wander to the ends of the earth. A foolish child brings grief to a father and bitterness to a mother. It is wrong to find the godly for being good or to punish nobles for being honest. A truly wise person uses few words. A person with understanding is even-tempered. Even fools are thought to be wise when they keep silent. When they keep their mouths shut, they seem intelligent. End of reading, Proverbs 17, 15 through 28. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. That's right. We praise Him, we worship Him for this amazing redemptive plan. We're learning now from the book of Romans as we listen to Paul give this very, very complete presentation of the gospel. He backed way back to pre-special revelation time, back to the time when all that people knew about God is what God revealed to us through nature itself, through the world around us, the seasons, the sun, the moon, the stars, and through our inner witness, our longing for immortality, our longing for goodness and for righteousness and for morality, what is called general revelations the world around us being God's oldest testament. Then he moved on into the time of special revelation as God revealed himself, particularly as he moved, as he spoke to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and to this particular people group that he chose in his sovereignty and his grace to use as an instrument of self-revelation. And all along in that message, he is telling us this amazing thing about salvation. Men and women all over planet Earth long for a relationship with God. They long to be rightly related with God for this life and into the life after death. Instinctively, we think we have to earn it. We have to be good enough. We have to do some things to earn that. The surprising answer in God's redemptive plan is no, you can't. There's nothing you can do. You are helpless to earn salvation on your own merit. But God has gifted it to us on the merits of His Son, the Messiah, Jesus, the Savior. Now tonight, we're going to see that it's more than just forgiveness. It's about God transforming our life. The Process of Sanctification, tonight on The Bible Life. Romans 5, 1 through 8, 34, followed by Proverbs 17, verses 15 through 28. Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of highest privilege where we now stand, and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they are good for us. They help us learn to endure. And endurance develops strength of character in us, and character strengthens our confident expectation of salvation. And this expectation will not disappoint us 
For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now no one is likely to die for a good person, though someone might be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's judgment. For since we were restored to friendship with God by the death of his Son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be delivered from eternal punishment by his life. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God, all because of what our Lord Jesus Christ has done for us in making us friends of God. When Adam sinned, sin entered the entire human race. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given, and though there was no law to break, since it had not yet been given, they all died anyway, even though they did not disobey an explicit commandment of God as Adam did. What a contrast between Adam and Christ who was yet to come, and what a difference between our sin and God's generous gift of forgiveness. For this one man, Adam, brought death to many through his sin. But this other man, Jesus Christ, brought forgiveness to many through God's bountiful gift. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but we have the free gift of being accepted by God, even though we are guilty of many sins. The sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over us. But all who receive God's wonderful, gracious gift of righteousness will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brought condemnation upon everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness makes all people right in God's sight and gives them life. Because one person disobeyed God, many people became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many people will be made right in God's sight. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful kindness became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful kindness rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Romans 6. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more kindness and forgiveness? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we became Christians and were baptized to become one with Christ Jesus, we died with Him? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised as he was. Our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also share his new life. We are sure of this because Christ rose from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. He died once to defeat sin, and now he lives for the glory of God. So you should consider yourselves dead to sin and able to live for the glory of God through Christ Jesus.
Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to its lustful desires. Do not let any part of your body become a tool of wickedness to be used for sinning. Instead, give yourselves completely to God since you have been given new life and use your whole body as a tool to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you are no longer subject to the law which enslaves you to sin. Instead, you are free by God's grace. So since God's grace has set us free from the law, does this mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that whatever you choose to obey becomes your master? You can choose sin which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God and receive His approval. Thank God! Once you were slaves of sin, but now you have obeyed with all your heart the new teaching God has given you. Now you are free from sin, your old master, and you have become slaves to your new master, righteousness. I speak this way using the illustration of slaves and masters because it is easy to understand. Before, you let yourselves be slaves of impurity and lawlessness. Now you must choose to be slaves of righteousness so that you will become holy. In those days, when you were slaves of sin, you weren't concerned with doing what was right. And what was the result? It was not good, since now you are ashamed of the things you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Romans 7 Now, dear brothers and sisters, you who are familiar with the law, don't you know that the law applies only to a person who is still living? Let me illustrate. When a woman marries, the law binds her to her husband as long as he is alive. But if he dies, the laws of marriage no longer apply to her. So while her husband is alive, she would be committing adultery if she married another man. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law and does not commit adultery when she remarries. So this is the point. The law no longer holds you in its power because you died to its power when you died with Christ on the cross. And now you are united with the one who was raised from the dead. As a result, you can produce good fruit, that is, good deeds for God. When we were controlled by our old nature, sinful desires were at work within us. And the law aroused these evil desires that produced sinful deeds, resulting in death. But now we have been released from the law, for we died with Christ, and we are no longer captive to its power. Now we can really serve God, not in the old way by obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way, by the Spirit. Well then, am I suggesting that the law of God is evil? Of course not. The law is not sinful, but it was the law that showed me my sin. I would never have known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said, Do not covet. But sin took advantage of this law and aroused all kinds of forbidden desires within me. If there were no law, sin would not have that power. I felt fine when I did not understand what the law demanded. But when I learned the truth, I realized I had broken the law and was a sinner, doomed to die. So the good law, which was supposed to show me the way of life, instead gave me the death penalty. Sin took advantage of the law and fooled me. It took the good law and used it to make me guilty of death. But still, the law itself is holy and right and good. But how can that be? 
Did the law which is good cause my doom? Of course not. Sin used what was good to bring about my condemnation. So we can see how terrible sin really is. It uses God's good commandment for its own evil purposes. The law is good then. The trouble is not with the law, but with me, because I am sold into slavery, with sin as my master. I don't understand myself at all, for I really want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do the very thing I hate. I know perfectly well that what I am doing is wrong, and my bad conscience shows that I agree that the law is good. But I can't help myself because it is sin inside me that makes me do these evil things. I know I am rotten through and through so far as my old sinful nature is concerned. No matter which way I turn, I can't make myself do right. I want to, but I can't. When I want to do good, I don't. And when I try not to do wrong, I do it anyway. But if I am doing what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing it. The sin within me is doing it. It seems to be a fact of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another law at work within me that is at war with my mind. This law wins the fight and makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am! Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin? Thank God! The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Romans 8. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. For the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you through Christ Jesus from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses could not save us because of our sinful nature. But God put into effect a different plan to save us. He sent His own Son in a human body like ours, except that ours are sinful. God destroyed sin's control over us by giving His Son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the requirement of the law would be fully accomplished for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. If your sinful nature controls your mind, there is death. But if the Holy Spirit controls your mind, there is life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit, if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them are not Christians at all. Since Christ lives within you, even though your body will die because of sin, your spirit is alive because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as He raised Christ from the dead... He will give life to your mortal body by this same Spirit living within you. So, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation whatsoever to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you keep on following it, you will perish. But if, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you turn from it and its evil deeds, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. 
So you should not be like cowering, fearful slaves. You should behave instead like God's very own children, adopted into His family, calling Him Father, dear Father. For His Holy Spirit speaks to us deep in our hearts and tells us that we are God's children. And since we are His children, we will share His treasures. For everything God gives to His Son Christ is ours too. But if we are to share His glory, we must also share His suffering. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory He will give us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who His children really are. Against its will, everything on earth was subjected to God's curse. All creation anticipates the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And even we Christians, although we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, also groan to be released from pain and suffering. We too wait anxiously for that day when God will give us our full rights as His children, including the new bodies He has promised us. Now that we are saved, we eagerly look forward to this freedom. For if you already have something, you don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't have yet, we must wait patiently and confidently. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our distress. For we don't even know what we should pray for, nor how we should pray. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. For God knew His people in advance, and He chose them to become like His Son, so that His Son would be the firstborn, with many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, He called them to come to Him. And he gave them right standing with himself, and he promised them his glory. What can we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since God did not spare even his own Son, but gave him up for us all, won't God who gave us Christ also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? Will God? No! He is the one who has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? Will Christ Jesus? No, for he is the one who died for us and was raised to life for us and is sitting at the place of highest honor next to God, pleading for us. End of reading, Romans 5, 1 through 8, 34. Christ The one true God over all the universe has brought about a salvation to reconcile human beings to himself. Those who desire God, those who long for him, for his righteousness, for immortality, God has made a provision so that those who long for him and desire him will be brought to him and we will spend an eternity with him. I will be their God. They will be my people. In its essence, it's 
so very simple, so very clear. But am I saying that there's no complexity? No, it's as complex as the human race is. It's as complex as we are as human beings. There is an amazing quality to this gospel. It meets the needs of every individual in every culture group, every time, in every situation. Notice that beautiful verse, Romans 8, 28. This conspiracy of circumstances that work for the sakes of, of the elect, for those who know God, whom God has chosen. And there's another one of those words that Paul uses, the elect, God's prior choosing of us. In other words, none of us could choose God. No one could choose God unless God had first taken the initiative to reveal himself and his redemption, his salvation to us. He first chose us, and then there is a choosing on our part, but it's in response to his choosing. His is the prior choosing, and therefore he talks about election. Now, the temptation here is that you're going to take these passages and all these beautiful, powerful words and concepts and truths, and you're going to make them into some kind of a metaphor, just religious talk. When he talks about us being born again, that we've died to our old self, and that we've been recreated, and we're going to say, oh, well, that's just some kind of a metaphor. It's kind of a hyperbolic religious talk. It's not. As Paul gives this explanation, don't relegate it to metaphors and symbolism. What he is telling us is truth. Even though you don't understand it at this time, don't say, oh, it's just religious talk. Paul is describing the truth that we have indeed died spiritually. The old soapy dollar is dead and gone, and we are now reborn. A number of chapters back now in the book of Romans, early, early in the letter, Paul says there are two kinds of people in the world, those who are Godward and those who are selfward, those who seek God and immortality and morality, goodness and righteousness, and those who could care less about those things. Life revolves around self, me going through life, doing the best I can for whatever reason. Which category are you? Are you Godward? Do you desire God? Do you long for Him? Do you desire immortality and to live with God and His people forever? Would you not, this very night, if you haven't already, receive by faith that eternal life, that salvation that God presents to us? The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. Sophie reads from the New Living Translation by Tyndale House Publishers. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping promote spiritual revival across America, and your financial support is needed. Please mail your tax-deductible gift to The Bible Live, Post Office Box 18888. That's The Bible Live, P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas, 78218. You may also make credit card donations at the ministry website, thebiblelive.com. Don't forget, join us each weekday for The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. Start today, and in one year's time, we will read and respond together to the entire Bible. Let the most important word you hear each day be God's Word. 